Okay, Colossians chapter 3, dun, 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 dun. we are making progress. We will actually be done with this in a few weeks, and it'll be all right. So, in light of our evaluation and rejection of the world, now, what do you live for, Christian? <laughs> Come on, who do you live for, Christian? Okay, just make sure we're following along. You know that answer. Paul knows you know that answer because Paul has basically told you that for two chapters. But what does that actually look like? Put flesh on that idea. That is the reason for the rest of the letter. So, cliche time, you ready? Things to remember. You are saved from something, you know that. But remember, you are also saved to something. And I've been joking, one of these days we're going to take all these cliches, I'm going to put them in a book and explain them, and we'll all make no money off of it. Sound like a good plan? <laughs> There you go. Then nobody said it was a good plan, right? But because we are actually saved to something, there is an active Christian living in the world that we should be following. So we have to be wary, but we also have to be active in the world. How we live, what we seek, and the activity of our minds. Sound good? That's what Paul is going to go over. So we are going to go over it with him. So let's dive in straight away to verse 1. There we go. Therefore, based on all the stuff he's told you previously, if you have been raised with Christ, time out, you know I'm going to do this to you, I do this every week. <laughs> it's become my favorite part of the week. Never, ever, ever forget as you encounter this world who the instruction of Scripture is for. It is the mistake we constantly make in the world. The instruction is, if you have been raised with Christ. Go back to the Old Testament, things like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers." That's a description that is not an explanation, okay? Don't go out into the world and go, if only you people would read more Leviticus, the world would be a better place. They would read more Leviticus, and you know what they would say? You hypocrites. Because what do they say now? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how that works. This is a description. Why does the blessed man care about the law of the Lord? Because something has already been changed within who he is and what he is living for. The work of God has already been active. Therefore, he looks at the world and says what? There's got to be a better way than what you people are doing. I'm going to go look into how God has explained this place to work. Which means what makes him the blessed man? Is he blessed because he reads the law of the Lord? Yes, but the reason he's blessed is not because of that reading, because of the reason behind the reading. The change of heart leading to a change of mind, leading to a change of life. You treat the Bible like an instruction manual. Go, if you people would just do, like start in the middle of Exodus and read through the end of Deuteronomy, just live like that and this world would be a better place. Well, now listen, if everybody could do that, would this world be a better place? Yes. If everybody could do that, would Jesus have been necessary? <laughs> No, not even a little bit. When you're reading Paul's instruction, remember, you are reading instruction to a redeemed people, which is why when you bring this instruction into the world, your point of attack is not the mind. It is the heart. Because in order for this to make sense to them, in order for them to be even capable of following this with any consistency at all, they have to have first a change of heart so that God's work is done first and then their actions reveal the work that God has done. Always remember that as you live in this world. Because let's be honest, 
you who have the Holy Spirit. How are you doing day by day in your perfection? <laughs> See, some of you are giving me that look like, why do you keep having to ask me that question? You know, yeah. I, there you go. It's like, yes. You know, it's, it's like that. It's, what is that? There? You're not the thumbs up or the thumbs down from Commodus. You're like, eh, depending on the week, you know, depending on how much I like my kids or my spouse this day. Now, imagine what that looks like for the people that don't have the Holy Spirit. Imagine the catastrophe that that becomes day in and day out. This is why our attack is always at the heart. Now, with that in mind, this means that as you also live in this world, Christian, you should be reminded of a reality. You can actually answer the who's question. Who are you? I won't sing it, because you are all already singing it in your head right now, aren't you? <laughs> do, 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 do. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you are in Christ. Go back to Colossians 2. In him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And just because I love the continuity of Scripture, we don't want to just hear when Paul says it. I'd like to hear when Peter says it too. How about you? All right then. First Peter 1. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's who Paul is talking to. That's who all of this instruction is for. If you are not giving that instruction to that people, you're going to be running into the brick wall head first. How's that going to feel after about 25 times? Now, if you could just be stubborn like me and enjoy that part of life, but odds are you don't, which means, again, aim lower. Aim for the heart. Bring the message of the gospel first. Then the fruit of the gospel will come forth. So with that covered, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. All right, who's, who's ready to be mad at me? You ready? If this is you, this is what you do and where you travel to. And I will stop speaking in Susian rhymes. <laughs> I was so proud of myself for coming up with that on Monday. And luckily, none of you booed. <laughs> which also would have rhymed. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you've been raised up with Christ, what should you do? Keep seeking the things above, things like Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noon day. This is why I love the Bible. The Bible doesn't leave you any questions as opposed to my favorite song. All right. Who wants to put my wife on the spot? What is my favorite song? Mm-hmm. See, she'd, she'd fail the newlywed game. We're not going to Hawaii. <laughs> oh, you are? All right, who's my favorite singer? <laughs> I am an unabashed meatloaf fan. The food and the singer, actually. <laughs> no, and that's not a terrible song either. 
I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know what everybody has asked since 1994 when that song came out? What is that? <laughs> your Bible doesn't do that. Your Bible tells you, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, what are the desires of my heart, Christian? They're supposed to be the things of God, the righteousness that I am pursuing. This is not a, well, I would like to be taller. I would like to be better looking. I would like to have more money. God doesn't care. You have been made. You are what you are. You are who you are because of who he has made you. And therefore, you are to live in this world the way that God has made you. But you are supposed to seek after the things of righteousness because he has now changed who you are at the core. Those are now supposed to be the desires of your heart. And as you pursue them, God goes, good job. Keep moving. This is the direction you're supposed to go. As opposed to the Holy Spirit looking at you going, stop doing that or I'm going to have to slap you. The Holy Spirit going, keep doing that. Good job. This way I don't have to spank you. Good, 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 good. You get the pat on the back instead of the gib slap in the back of the head. That's the joy of this. Keep seeking the things where Christ is. And where is that? Seated at the right hand of God. This is your goal. To be heavenly minded. To actually live in this world looking beyond it. Because your life is not here. We're going to get to that. And by the way, this has always been the aim of Jesus' ministry. Go back to things like John 3. No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Fast forward to John 5. Jesus answered his when say, and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. This is... This is one of those things that will help you understand your parables a little bit better as well. So we've done this before. This is the Sermon on the Mount. What's the, whole, what's the point of the Beatitudes and all that moralizing in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5? is to get those Israelites who are trying to follow after the Pharisees, who are rooting on the Pharisees, because they're the really good ones, to say what? If they're in trouble and they're better than me, I'm in real trouble, which means I can't look to them for my righteousness, and I can't look to the law for my righteousness. I need to look to, I can't find it in me. I have to look to God for my righteousness. It's about getting their eyes off of them, off of their world, and onto God. When you read the parables, same idea, an understanding that your life and the vision of your life should be elevated off of you, not living for here, but living for a world that is to come. This is what Jesus was instructing about, where he was dragging people to, and where he is calling them to unto this day. Seeking the things above. This world is not your home. This world is not the end-all, be-all. And that is contrary to the world's message. Because what is the world's message? Everything is centered on what? Don't you want the newest car, the newest phone? You want to have a laugh? I'm weird, so this is entertaining to me. If you're not as weird as I am, it may not be as entertaining to you. Wait for the new announcement of like the next iPhone and then go to a mall that has an Apple store and get a coffee and just sit and watch. Just sit and watch. You will have people still making payments on last year's phone getting in line for this year's phone. Why? Because it's new. Well, what's new about it? It's an eighth of an inch wider. And that means what? I don't know. <laughs> It's now got three cameras instead of two. I can take even worse pictures of myself. I mean, uh, 
has more memory. You have none. This is, you laugh, but there's probably a reason why we all have less memory now, and it's because you have the source of all knowledge in your pocket. You don't have to remember anything. You just Google it. And just think how, how sad we've gotten. We're like getting closer to Wally every day. Is that you can't even be bothered to type on your phone anymore. You have to pick it up and talk to it. Like we have a Roku at home that we use TV for and I'm forever arguing with the stupid thing because it wants me to talk to it and I refuse to talk to my television. I just, there are lines I'm not crossing. I will talk to myself. I will talk to the car on occasion. I will, I will yell at the computer and threaten it, but I'm not talking to the TV. That's my line and I'm just done. But think, like this has become too strenuous for us. Hey, Siri. Hey, Google, I mean, I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to, I listen to podcasts and things, and all of a sudden noises are going off because the guy doing the podcast didn't turn off his phone right, and he said something, and it woke up the little automated voice on his computer, and now it's talking to him. It's like, this is where we are as a society. Why? Because it's forever trying to get you plugged into here. This is why I'm also, I'm always asking you, what in this world is designed to bring you closer to God? Nothing. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if everything that has been designed by the enemy is meant to pull you away from God. This is why you're supposed to live contrary to the world and seek something different. Seek something higher. Now, did I tell you your phone is evil? No. Did I tell you a new phone is evil? Depends on how much money you have. (laughs) Your new car isn't evil. Your television is evil. But how you view them, how you use them, and who's in charge of who? will determine whether or not these things are evil. This is a joke Cameron and I always have in the house is, you know, we'll go upstairs and the dog will position himself in the hallway so that you have to step over him. And as you go to step over him, he'll roll on his back so you can rub his tummy. And every time he rolls on his back, what do we all do? We stop and rub his tummy. And you know what I say now every time I rub his tummy? You're not in charge around here. <laughs> yeah, he's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then he actually moves the paw to tell me I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> now, it's one thing when the dog does it. It's another thing when everything in my life is in charge of me. That is not seeking the things above. That is seeking after the things of this world. You live in this world. Utilize the things of this world. Take advantage of the things and the tools that it has given you to make your life simpler and easier unto the glory of God, meaning they all should come second. And if they no longer come second, like if you can't be bothered to put your phone down to talk to your kids or to talk to your family, you know what's the problem is? It's not the phone. The problem is how you view the things of this world. And that's a, that is an evaluation that we should always be doing because that is what we are called to in Christ. If you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above, not the things that are here. Utilize what the world gives you, yes, but realize it always comes in second place to who Christ is. So let's continue to verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. Not a new warning, Christian. James 3, which is a book that is older than this one. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. That sounds nice. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And remember when we went through the book of James, we talked about this. Did James really have any new ideas in his book? You can almost draw a straight line from all the wisdom of James, and you can either draw it directly to what Jesus said or directly to the Proverbs. James 3, Colossians 3, 2, Proverbs 3. Don't you love how that lines up? I love love it when a plan comes together. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, real quick, Proverbs is not a book of promises. It is a book of wisdom. Do this and your life will in general function the way that God has designed to function. What would a straight path in this world look like, Christian? Where would it lead? It would lead to Christ, seated at the right hand, right? Would there be ditches on the side of this road? Yes. Would there be the occasional pothole? Would there be traffic? Will there be intersections? Yes. Yes, there will. Will you persevere through them because of the work of God? Yes. Yes, you will. Remember, straight paths do not mean beautiful, pristine, open roads where there is nothing that will ever happen. You still have to stop and get gas. You still have to stretch your legs on occasion. You still have to pay attention to what you're doing. If you don't, you'll be off the straight path doing who knows what, who knows where, to who knows who. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Again, I return to the Pilgrim's Progress. I, I need to reread this at some point. But this is what happens to Christian is he gets off of the king's highway and finds himself in Vanity Fair. And then he gets off the king's highway later on and finds himself locked up in a castle. And what I love is he's in chains and in prison in the castle. And you know how he finally gets out? He remembers that Christ gave him the keys. <laughs> Torture and starvation and certain death in this castle. And he's there for months and months and months. And he's like, oh, wait, I got a key. Let's go home now. <laughs> That's the, but Christian, isn't that your world? How do you get out of the ditch? When you've driven your car into the ditch, how do you get out? For this too, Christ has died. There is a highway that leads where I would like to go. I need to get back out of the ditch and start back under the highway that I'm supposed to be on. This is the wisdom. This is how you follow, and this is the evaluation that you take. There will be difficulties. There will be struggles. There will be trials, things that you have to think through, things that you must overcome. But the promise of Christ is that he has not forgotten you and he has not forsaken you. Meaning he didn't just put you on the road and again, give you the Billy Crystal. Have fun storming the castle. Bye. He's actually there. He's actually involved. The Holy Spirit is encouraging and instructing and training and dragging your carcass out of the ditch when you have wrecked the car again. And these are the places that we have to rejoice because this is what Christ has done. Now, you would like to set your mind on the things above. How, pray tell, will you do that? Just out of curiosity. Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. Good. Renew my mind. How? <laughs> Read the rest of Romans 12 for homework. It'll do you good. Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You reorient your life by first reorienting your mind in that is done because your heart has already been reoriented by Christ. This is why that first part of the command, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Recognize that as you live in this world, you do not live for this world. So does Matthew 6 tell you, don't make lunch? See, 
do not worry about what you will eat. Does that mean you just like go throughout your day and eventually like food will just fall from the heavens, somebody will chuck a Big Mac at you and you will eat? It'd be more entertaining if that's how life was, like a magical giant game of dodgeball. Like, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, I want that one. Got it. Yes. <laughs> Is that what it means when it says not to worry? No, you should still do. You should still go grocery shopping. You should still put the cold stuff in the fridge. You should check your expiration dates. You should still make a meal. That's not worrying. Worrying would be obsessing. Worrying would be living for food. And look, you know who's really susceptible to this one in this room? My wife is giving me this look like, you're about to talk about you, right? (laughs) For reasons I do not understand, I have a terrible relation with food. It puts me in a good mood. It puts me in a bad mood. If preparing a meal goes wrong, I will be in a bad mood. Yes, I am weird, and I acknowledge it, and I'm working on it. (laughs) But that's part of the battle and part of the victory, is that I'm weird, and I acknowledge it, and I am working on it. You never, well, that's just how I am. Just make me good food, and everything will be okay. No, that's a terrible place to live, because then you know what I'm living for? Yeah, those good meals that I'm going to get. And then when I don't get them, what am I going to be again? Instead, I need to recognize this is unhealthy and wrong and messed up. I'm taking something that's supposed to serve me in the kingdom that I'm trying to persevere towards, and I'm making it the primary thing. Does that mean you don't worry about clothing from Matthew 6? Like you just get up one day, and if God wants you to get dressed that morning, someone will just drop a tunic on you or something? Now, if you go walking around naked hoping for someone to throw a hamburger at you, we might get you some clothing, but it'll probably buckle in the back, just, just so you know, you know, the little, little arm sleeves thing. <laughs> no, you do what? You actually buy clothing. What happens when you live for that clothing, though? Because you've never seen that in this world. Oh, I can't wear that. It's so last season. <laughs> yeah, when did sneakers get so expensive? I'm just genuinely curious. Like, I remember being a kid and, like, the Jordans started to come out, and then I was a teenager, and I'm like, when did basketball shoes become, like, hundreds of dollars? And why do, why do we have pastors? Why do we have pastors who are obsessed with them? You want to have some fun? There's actually a website, I can't think of the name of it, that, um, that keeps up with shoes that pastors wear. I went to the um, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention two years ago, and you know what half of the discussion on the little social media tag was? Which sneakers our president wore that day? Because he changed them throughout the day. Because he's a sneakerhead, or at least he was. He's not in charge anymore. That's weird. For all my weirdness about food, I'm not even that weird about food. Okay. <laughs> See, there's a difference between using the things of the world and loving the things of the world and living for the things of the world. Now, have shoes that work. Have shoes that are comfortable. Have shoes that protect your feet. But when your life revolves around your shoes, something is terribly wrong. When your life revolves around your next meal, something is terribly wrong. Your life is supposed to revolve around the things of Christ and seeking after his righteousness. Using the tools that you have, using the means that you have been given to do what? To accomplish that righteous living in this world. Now, that's why it says, not on the things that on earth. Why not? They're more fun and they're tangible and I can see them. None of the reorienting of your life. You need to reorient your life by reorienting your mind because Christ has reoriented your heart. None of that reorienting stuff is here. None of it is here. 
That next meal will not make you a better person. The better shoes will not make you a better person. A better iPhone will not make you a better person. As a matter of fact, I'm actually thoroughly convinced that the new iPhone, I think, makes you a worse person. <laughs> I, I, I have decided. <laughs> I have decided that iPhones are evil. No. <laughs> Sorry, this is what I do at home, is I ruin old hymns for Cameron. <laughs> have my fun. Romans chapter 8. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This is, again, how you live in the world. If you need a new phone, buy a new phone. You know who actually just bought a new phone this month? <laughs> I did. Mine was five years old. I bought a new phone, finally. And I switched cell phone carriers, so I'm paying, I'm making payments on the new phone, and I'm paying the same amount I was for the coverage I had. So I'm coming out ahead in this world, as far as I'm concerned. No, no, I didn't join the cult. No, I didn't, I didn't get the evil iPhones. <laughs> and I know some of you are iPhone people. You know I'm kidding. If you want to join a cult, that's fine. That's more like a, you know, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> Better rephrase that out loud. No, it is not okay if you want to join a cult. I'm kidding. Having Apple products is not a cult. It just feels like one. <laughs> there, well, everything gives information to everybody at this point. To go, go have some fun. They did a whole news story on that a couple of years ago where they took a phone and actually turned it, um, never connected it to a network, never connected it to um, a Wi-Fi network of any kind, and then just turned it on, put it on airplane mode, and put it in their pocket. And then when they finally connected it to a Wi-Fi network, all the information went straight to Google. Like, it knew where they went during the day, like, down to the geolocation with, like, GPS pointing, and it had never been connected. So if you have a phone, just know that the government has already watched everything you do. They already know everything. They know what you had for breakfast this morning. They, they, they just know. It Just learn to be okay with it, or start talking to whichever FBI agent is assigned to your phone. <laughs> like, hey, dude, how's your day? <laughs> they know who told them. Because <laughs> I actually do have some friends that actually cover the camera on their laptops. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm not quite there yet. But if my TV wants me to keep talking to it, I'm getting closer. <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. That's just fun little notes for you. Instead, Christian, what does have to do with everything is thinking through the things of this world and who is in charge of them and whether or not they are in charge of you. So why should you be doing this work? Verse 3. <clears throat> for you have died. That's a good happy place to start, isn't it? Congratulations, you're all dead. <laughs> if nobody told you I bear the bad news, this is, though, the reality of how you live in the here and now. And again, not a new idea for Paul. Go back to Paul's first letter, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that is not a unique idea to Galatians or Colossians. This is a part of Paul's ministry, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So it goes along. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Meaning, 
While you are dead in the here and now, you are alive in the world that is to come. This is your future hope. Let's continue in Romans 6. You have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. In other words, when I joke that I'm weird and I'm working on it, that's because of Christ. That's the point of the living is recognize this is a problem. This is a thing in the world that has too much power and authority and control over me. You know what the best news about this is? That that whole stent statement is something that came out of my brain and my mouth. Do the pagans worry about their sin? Do they worry about their temptations? Probably not. The fact that you looked at it and said, this is an issue, and if this continues, this is going to be a real problem, that's the good news. That's crucified. That is you looking at your life and the Holy Spirit going, all right, you're paying attention. All right, now, what are we going to do? What's the answer? What do we do with it next? Yes, yes, we kill it, we kill it with fire. (laughs) Would you prefer the 1970s disco version? Fire. There you go. Whatever helps you sleep at night. (laughs) Whichever version lets you remember. This is the good news. The recognition that your life is about more than the pleasures of this world and the temporary things that it can offer you, but that your vision is being lifted higher. These things Paul said in other places. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And because that work is only being done because of the work that Christ has already done, you can have hope. John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Is Jesus' example, you know, I have a bunch of sheep, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to get most of them there. But, you know, a couple of those sheep, they're kind of ugly, and they don't listen really well, and they're a little on the dumb side. So, you know, we're hoping. You know, fingers crossed here, guys. Let's see what happens. If that were the parable, what would you say? I I would like a better deal. (laughs) I would like a deity that actually has some power and authority here. Can can we we find that any place here, please? No, the, the, the examples that are given from there in John 10 mirror the parable given in Luke 15. When the shepherd has 100 sheep and one goes missing, what does he do? Oh, well, still got the 99. It's going to be a good harvest. It'll be a good year. We'll see what happens. No, you go look for it. And when you find it, what do you do? You rejoice and you celebrate. And that leads you into the same parable with the coin, and that helps you understand the parable of the prodigal son is the rejoicing of God changing the heart and redeeming the sinner and bringing them to a good end, regardless of the twisted path they they wind themselves through right now. This is the hope that you have, Christian. Because you look at your sin and go, I am getting sick and tired of this battle. (sighs) 
because I'm tired of it, I can recognize the work of Christ. And because I can recognize the work of Christ, I can recognize that it's defeated. Now, math equations here, okay? I know none of you liked math. Well, some of you like math, but we still love you. (laughs) If there's a battle between two things, and one of them is defeated, what's the other one? The other one's victorious. The other one's the winner. So if I'm warring against my sin, and my sin is defeated, then I win. Now, I know it doesn't feel like it a lot of days, but recognize that's the now, not yet of Scripture. Remember, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Because of that work, the demonstration of the persevering of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can rest assured that your place in His kingdom is there and it is not leaving. And you can go to war knowing that you will have victory. Even if they beat you up a little bit right now, you know what's coming. You can't kill me, and eventually dad's coming home, and you know what's going to happen then, don't you? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's how you should view your sin, because there is coming a kingdom when it will be undone. There is coming a time when evil will be slaughtered, and the righteous in Christ will stand victorious. <sighs> Remember that as you live in this world. That's the hope. Galatians 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And again, as Paul will tell the Philippians, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is why all of that stuff we talked about last week can actually have power behind it. This is the power. It is the power of Christ in his people on their behalf. So, how does this finish up? When Christ, who is our life, is revealed... That's basically just a summary of everything we've talked about this morning. So rather than me just repeat it all later, just remember everything I said. Sound good? Okay. (laughs) And if I can remember everything I said, we'll all be okay. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. (sighs) That's something to look forward to right there. The actual you. The one not encumbered by these temptations and these sins. The one not scarred up by battle and worrying about when the next problem might arise. 1 Corinthians 15. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is your reminder. You stand at the completed end of Christ's work. And you're waiting for the fulfillment of all that he has promised. Sin is defeated. The stain is being scrubbed day by day. The power is being stripped away as you are being shown. This is why you have the battles you have today. And this is why I tell you to rejoice in the battles. Because you are prepared and gifted for the problem you have right now. (laughs) Whether you liked it or not, whether you believed it or not. If you weren't prepared for the battle you're having right now, you know what you wouldn't be having? That battle. You'd be having another battle that you have been prepared for. But you are the one to live now. If you have kids or grandkids or great-grandkids, you have been placed where you are by the providential hand of God for the wisdom and the witness that you have in their lives now. That's what you do. May not be what you wanted to do, but I don't care. And you know who else doesn't care? God, because this is where he has put you. 
If you don't have those things, then you have another battle, another testimony to provide, another witness to testify to, and you should do that thing. Because you have the wisdom for that, and you have the strength for that. You're not going to have the strength for the stuff you're not facing. Don't worry about it. That goes back to Matthew 6. you got enough problems to worry about. Don't worry about somebody else's problems. <laughs> you know who's got their problems? They do by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have your problems, and you will overcome them by the same power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in His provision. Know that you have been prepared for the battle you have today. And know that as you go through this, that that is the hope. Matthew 11. Jesus' call, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, don't read rest wrong. When I say you're going to get rest, how much work you got left to do? No, 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 be honest. When most people tell you you're going to be resting, how much work do you have to do? None. That's why you're resting. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You ever been tired from a day at work and then gone home and like done hobbies? Well, why weren't you too tired for hobbies? Because you enjoy that stuff. Like nobody, <laughs> like if you're into putting together like models of things and you're like, oh, I could put together my model or I could wash the dishes. What are you doing? You're putting together the model, but why? I'm too tired to wash the dishes. But you're not too tired to sit there and tinker with that garbage, but you're too tired to actually do the useful stuff. Why? Well, because I like this. This comes full circle with Christ. Christ is telling you, you have work to do in my kingdom, but you will love it. Because the work comes from a God who you love because he has first loved you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And those desires are supposed to be righteousness because that is who God is and what he is preparing his people for. So when you take upon the yoke of Christ, you're going, I have work to do. This is the battle that you fight in the here and now. And it is a glorious, fruitful, happy battle because it is a victorious one. You're going to win because he has already won. 1 Thessalonians 3. May our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. See, Paul has that prayer because that's the hope of all of God's people. The fulfillment of our worship in the here and now is a complete worship that is given rightly. It is us, unencumbered by sin, unencumbered by the temptations of the world and the things that are so easily pulling us in a clear vision of who and what we are. Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Our problem in the here and now is not a God problem. It is not that God has not done this or God has not done that. It is an us problem. We did not think rightly. We did not believe rightly. We did not do rightly. We did not trust rightly. But 
The fact that you can recognize that and the fact that that bothers you just a little bit is one, cause for good news, and two, cause for your rejoicing at the work of Christ. Because when you see what is wrong, you typically should be seeing also the cure in what is right. And you recognize that for that too, Christ has died and that he has not forsaken his people and he has not abandoned them and that that promise is still good. Renew your heart, renew your mind, and let your life flow because you have centered yourself on Christ. You have forsaken the things of this world. And again, you have a phone, you have a job, you have a house, you have clothing. Don't let them be idols. Let them be servants because what are you supposed to be in this world? a servant of the king. And as these things have been given to you, they've been given to you so that you will serve, so that you will glorify the great God who has redeemed you and changed you. And you can rejoice that that work cannot be undone and that you will be revealed in glory. Let's pray.